but people assume that all the time. I remember once I was out at a bar with my girlfriend and this guy comes up to me and is like, where's your man tonight? And I was like, he's at home, but my girlfriend's right over here. She's amazing. And then we start like dancing and, you know, making googly eyes at each other. And he just like took that as an invitation to follow us around all night. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all the dick havers whose balls are disproportionately larger than their soft dicks, which is both a flex and a visual drawback. I salute you. This is Billy Presida, and you are listening to the Man Whore Podcast. Oi, my voice. Not sounding great, everybody. I, I'm not sick. as just too loud at an orgy on Saturday. Um, I just kept shouting like, do you consent to this? What? Do you consent? Are you sure you consent to this? Why would you consent to this? Okay. That got a, that got a giggle the last time I was on a microphone. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. This week on the pod, I have got on author Emily Gindelsparger. She has a book out now called Please Make Me Love Me. We're going to get into what that means in just a little bit. But first, mm, yeah, oh, it feels good to be back with the show dates, people, show dates. Oh, I missed this part. If you're around the New York City area, people, I've got a bunch of shows coming up in October. I'm going to I'm going to list some off. I'll also throw them into the show notes, but uh October 4th I'm going to be at Tiny Cupboard on the 10 p.m. show, Valley Stream, New York. October 5th I am at Zaphires. October 6th I'll be at the Bridge and Tunnel Brewery over in Queens. October 10th, Greenwich Village Comedy Club on the 7 p.m. show. October 12th, I'll be at Essence Bar on Atlantic Avenue and uh, Jersey City. I'm coming back on October 20th at Pet Shop. You want to see me tell some yuck yucks, I am I'm back into the swing of doing that. Uh, I might even repeat the thing I just said before about the whole, what? Why, why would you consent to this? Okay. That's that's a joke about water sports. Without being a joke about water sports, that's not how I lost my voice. It was just a loud party, and I was being very chatty. But I did go to Hacienda. Very surprisingly, I almost didn't go. I bought a ticket. I bought a ticket in large part because uh, shout out to Dan and Bootsy, longtime fan whores, big supporters of the podcast, and big mazel to them because uh, they got maui'd. And they wanted, to, they wanted to celebrate their three-week wedding anniversary at a hacienda. They came down from Canada because they wanted to go to a hacienda party. And they were not disappointed. But since, like, they're not members, like, I was like, I got to get a ticket. And, and so I bought a ticket, but, like, I didn't even know if I was going to go. I wasn't really feeling the mood. My body's feeling yuck. I'm, you know, I miss wallet, no lady. That has been getting in all sorts of the way of my sex drive these days. I didn't know what to wear. Arguably the biggest hindrance. You all know how I feel about a sex party theme. It's like, I, I, I thought let's get naked and fuck each other was a great theme. Why do I got to buy a hat? I'll do it, but I don't know if that's necessary. So, uh, but I did, I last minute pulled together quite the fit. Uh, I, I will probably post some pictures on OnlyFans. I got I to gotta redo a photo shoot. F- portrait mode is not infallible, I found out. But I found like a patient gown for like eight bucks and change at the dollar store. Did a little cutout magic with a Sharpie marker and a cute jock strap. I had a whole thing going on. It was great. And I, so I ended up having a great time. Who would have thought? Because sometimes you don't want to go to the party. You don't want to go to that social event. You don't want to do this thing. You're like, I don't know if I'm in the mood. But you want to have a good time, but you don't feel like you're going to have. But all you got to do is just get yourself into the fucking room and you're going to have a great time. I got my fit together, I went to the gym, I did some yogas, and I was like ready for a fuck fest. 
it was a medical play theme party, which they haven't done in years. Uh, but they had a doctor, like a real doctor person. Gosh, I hope no one gets in trouble for me saying this. There was a doctor person lady who had a table station set up for a few hours. And she was like giving like sexy checkups. The Hacienda presents parties always have some sort of like a themed station going on. Usually like low level interaction. You can maybe get some soft touch involved. Maybe it's a photo shoot thing, whatever. So I don't know really what to expect, but I'm like, let's go give that a try. And I, I go early. I get on the I get on the doctor's table and she's doing like sexy checkup. Sure. Like softly feeling my glands. Oh, let's check your, uh, let's listen to your lungs. Let's do this. Kind of like, you know, run some body on my chest. It feels nice. And then she puts a, uh, a face mask on me and says, let's, we're going to do some sensory testing now. I'm like, Ooh, I can feel a feather on me. Great. I feel something else on me. That's a little pokey. Cool. Um, she, she, I, I didn't find this out until I took the thing off and watched somebody else go, but like she had a tuning fork and she would hit the tuning fork and then put the end like on different parts of my body, including the dick. Oh my, a tuning fork. What a nice, simple vibrator that is. But again, this is all in the realm of like, okay, this is fun, little like sexy, sensual warm up for your party night. Uh, you, you know, you don't normally get like sexual interaction from these stations, but then she says, okay, now it's time for your testicular exam. Excuse you? Did you just say a wonderful, beautiful thing? <laughs> like she says that. And next thing I know, like my gown is yanked up and my jock strap is pulled down and my cock is just like sticking up there. My ball, my big balls are just, I, why do I have to tell you that they're big balls? I don't know. That's unnecessary. But my 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 sack is just out there and she's fondling my sack and she's like handling my shaft like very purposefully. She's not giving me a hand job, but like she's just she's got it and she's maneuvering it this way and that out of the way and telling me how to do a testicular example. All I can think of is like, oh, my God, please grab it again. Oh, my God. This is far more interaction than I was expecting to have. If, if I thought that wasn't enough, she then asked me if I would like to have a rectal exam. Now, I did not prepare for prostate play tonight, but uh, I was like, let's let's sample the full offerings of this thing. Like, let's see where this goes. Um, oh, and uh, who knows? Maybe next it's going to be like, and, and now we will are we're going to be able need to get a semen sample out of you. And then she, you know, sits on my dick. I don't know. I don't know what kind of bedside manner this doctor has, but it's pretty awesome. I watched Dan and Bootsy get their check-ins. That was very fun. And oh my God, when, when Bootsy got down there, so Bootsy has implants and they look phenomenal. There was an actual resident assisting the actual doctor on, and, and she was like showing him how to like do a breast exam on someone who has implants. I'm like, this is above and beyond the best themed station I've seen at a Hacienda party. I think maybe ever. This is great. What other orgy in this fucking country are you going to see a doctor teaching a resident on a babe with implants, like a real medical theme, right before she like then makes out with her? Come on now, folks. A great party. And now later in the night, uh, later in the night, like I, I come across Dan and Bootsy and they're talking to the doctor and I walk up. I'm like, I'm saying, hey. And then kind of like next thing I know, the doctor just asks, y'all want to go play? Her and I, aside from my uh, my exam, we, I don't think she even knows my name. We have not like connected. She hasn't complimented me. There is nothing that makes me think she's like interested specifically in me, and that's because I don't think she was. I mean, she wanted to fuck Bootsy. That was like very clear. I don't think Dan and I even mattered. I think Dan and I were next to Bootsy, so she's like, I will bring these dick havers should we have use for them. And we go downstairs and we found this spot to play. Oh, God, it was really funny because we're, we're like getting into this corner space that was open. And then this woman comes over because she like lost some clothes. So she's like looking for underwear. She's looking for a sock. Um, you know, we were saying like, you know, I think we gave you the sock. She's like, no, no, I, I think there's still one out here. And, 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 but the doctor is so frustratingly horny to fuck around with Bootsy. At some point, she just like very really goes like, okay, now you need to go. <laughs> Like, I just got off shift and there's this total babe I want to make out with. You need to leave. 
<laughs> I mean, look, I'm just saying that if I had said that to that woman, I think a guardian would have come over and had a conversation with me uh, about how to be more. It's fine. I had a good laugh out of it. Uh, but then, yeah, it was just I look I, for all the orgy talk I do on this show and in life that I've done. I don't think I've been in like a group sex scenario quite like this where someone who I have zero connection with, who I don't know if she's even interested in me is I've been invited to the orgy puddle and we're just like really straight ahead saying, Hey, what's the boundaries? Here they are. Cool. Let's touch stuff and lick stuff and do things. Okay. I'm game. Let's give that a go. Dr. Lay's making out with Bootsy. I'm going down on the doctor. I'm not really sure what Dan was up to. I'm sure he was doing something up there that I couldn't see. And when I started to have sex with the doctor, I, I like realized, oh, I'm a prop. Because again, she's interested in Bootsy. I don't think she even knows my name. And normally, if I can't tell why someone is fooling around with me or if I'm doing a good job fooling around with someone, I actually get more uncomfortable and I kind of don't even want to anymore. As I've talked about often, I need to have a connection with the person or I got to have a connection with the scene. So in the past, when I've been a prop, I've known I was a prop from the jump because it was like, I'm invited to this gangbang. I've been selected for the gangbang. But my purpose here is to just like make sure I am hard and fucking this person in a somewhat competent manner. I don't even have to do it well because she's just going for volume or whatever the scene entails, right? So I got to connect to the scene or the person. And then this, I like, I'm disconnected from a portion of the scene because I don't even necessarily know, you know, what my, what my usage is as a prop. But then like in my head, I finally put it together, probably on like thrust number three. Oh, I don't totally matter here. Like she wants to play with Bootsy and she'd like to have to be fucked while she does it. And that's truly all I got to do. At least I think so. Or maybe I was supposed to do a better job. I know this wasn't my best showing. Bootsy smoked me up early in the party. I didn't even think I was going to fuck anybody. Because I was like, yo, when I'm stoned, somewhat useless with a new partner. But like, hey, we had a great time with it. Uh, I got to go down on Bootsy, which was like a dream. And I <laughs> squirted all over my face. This is a more explicit monologue intro thing than I'm used to doing. I, I'm only just realizing right now. I don't know why it's making me uncomfortable. I think I'm more, I'm so much more comfortable telling like the explicit details of a sex story when there's a guest in front of me than if I'm just like walking around my apartment alone. Anyways, just going to share that with you. What's the point, Billy? What's the point? I think just throwing yourself into social scenarios where you like, you kind of want to go, but you're only, you're, it's not that you don't want to go. You're just nervous about it. Is anybody going to like me? Is anybody going to want to talk to me? Is anyone going to want to dance with me? Is anyone going to touch my genitals? That birthday party that seems fun, but you don't know like a lot of people there. The dance night at the club that you've had circled on your calendar for three weeks, but like you're really anxious about it. Like just go get out there. I'm so happy I did, because otherwise I would have stayed home, I would have smoked some pot, I don't know, I probably would have jacked off thinking about the last orgy I went to, and uh, and then I probably would have woken up the next day being like, I don't know, maybe I should have gone to that party. Not because of FOMO, but because like I wanted to go. Why didn't I want to go? I was just nervous, I was in my feels, I was a little anxious, but once I get there, once I get in the room, I see my friends, I hug folks. I kiss a pal of mine, like, we're going to have a good time. So I guess may that be an inspiration for you to go to the next social function that's freaking you out, but you still kind of want to attend? I don't know. Anyways, folks, it, it was it was a great party. Shout out to Hacienda. Um, and it was cool because, like, I had sex in what felt like a long time. Folks, if you're not in the champagne room, our super free, super fun, super sex positive Discord server, you got to get in there. Oh, the champagne room, it's just filled with hundreds. Oh, gosh, we're almost at 600 members. The champagne room is filled with hundreds of like-minded, sex-positive whoreheads. And honestly, it's not even a man whore podcast server. Like, we've got people in there who don't even listen to my silly show. You know, we got people who are inviting their friends, their lovers, just fo folks from other servers that they know would enjoy the space. They don't know who I am, but they do know that like they connect with what we're talking about. 
But if you are a fan of the podcast, we do have an episode discussion channel where there's been some wonderful conversations and some really nice compliments. I'm going to start with one of them uh, from Princess Peach. She writes, thanks, Man Whore Podcast, for making me laugh out loud on my commute home today after a long shift at work as I continue to make my way through old episodes in no particular order. I've learned to expect the unexpected, but... Uh, I'm sorry, is my butthole not considered speech still caught me off guard? Well played, and in a weird way, point well made. Thank you, Princess Peach, uh, who is uh, this week our top commenter. Join the champagne room and look out for her yellow username this week. There was also some discussion about last week's episode with uh, comedian Liz Mealy, episode 454. And interestingly enough, all the comments about last week's episode have been about that, that, that topic of, of having kids or not having kids and men taking responsibility when they have kids. Chuck G., who y'all might remember from episode 438, the most recent naked episode, he wrote, us child-free folks always feel the need to over-explain the fact that we still like kids and that we support our friends who want to have kids blah, blah, blah. We're conditioned to respond this way. So people don't think we're selfish, soulless monsters, but none of that should matter. All that is important is that we've made a personal decision you should respect regardless of whether or not you understand. And then he posted the the Michael Jordan meme that says, fuck them kids. <laughs> uh, and this is a very common uh, comment I hear, I hear from the child free by choice folks. Another user goes by Wido. You know, they wrote uh, something interesting about the, the male angle going on. He shared this story. He said, I think one of the reasons many dads aren't better is because it's hard to criticize parents for being bad parents. I think it's a good rule to follow generally, but it lets slacker dads off the hook. To give an example of this, I have an older friend who, whenever I see him with his family, is always slacking off. His wife is always watching the kids, and when I'm there, I end up having to do it too. I asked my wife if I should talk to him, and she said not to because I see him so infrequently. Around a year ago, I was talking with another friend about how the guy having his wife always watch the kids pissed me off, and we were both angry at the guy, and we pitied his wife, who, who, at, who, was, who at the time was pregnant with a fourth child, um, and so we came up with an idea. We wanted to punish the guy and do something nice for the wife. So we decided to put some money together to get her an Airbnb or hotel to stay somewhere for the weekend. That way she could get away from the three kids before adding a fourth to the mix and saddle the asshole with all three kids by himself for the weekend. In the end, we, we got the soon-to-be mother of four a short trip away from the kids by being a bit more direct. But I still haven't told the old friend that he's a slacker when it comes to watching the kids. And I'm not exactly sure how to. The basic thing that I guess I'm saying is, how do we put social pressure on men to take more responsibility as a parent if we cannot comment on a man's parenting? I think that's a very interesting question. Y'all should pop into the episode discussion channel in the champagne room. Give your thoughts, respond to Wido, or you can always shoot me an email at manhorpod at gmail.com. You very well may hear your response on the show. All right, before we get to this week's guest, Emily Gindelsparger. Gosh, that name, so many syllables. Let's do a quick fan whore appreciation moment. Yeah, rock on. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. For those of you under the age of 26, you may not know what that is, and that's okay. Why do I do that? I don't need to constantly shit on people younger than me. I think it's just me trying to like uh, instill a sense of superiority in myself over a group of people I do not know who maybe don't deserve such criticism. I just don't feel that bad about it because of what they say about our genes. You hear me, Gen Z? I feel like you, you, you fired the first shots, but I'm calling a truce. I'm going to pull back. Please do the same. Leave our bangs alone. I don't even have bangs, but I just, you know, I'm defensive for my my millennial peers. Okay, this that this all went off the rails. What am I doing? Fan whore appreciation moment. This is the part of the show where I like to give a shout out to members of my fan whore community of all ages on Patreon. Fan whore nation is uh, is like kind of the bedrock of my business model of what I do. The fact that y'all support me at $2 a month. $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever it is that you've been able to scrounge together 
month to month to throw my way. I mean, it's deeply appreciated. And it's the reason I'm able to keep doing what it is I'm doing, which is not just being antagonistic to Gen Z who really, I just want to hang out. Can I, can we hang? Y'all can't see my face right now, but I'm embarrassed with myself. I want to say thank you sincerely right now, regardless of his age, to Brett Lofgreen, punk buddy. I've been loving your interaction in the champagne room. I love that you've become such a regular member of the community, and I think you got super cool hair. I don't care what any generation says about it. Thanks for being a member. Thanks for supporting the show. And I also want to give a shout-out to Genevieve Lenore boom bxbx thank you for supporting the man Whore podcast on patreon I, you seem like you do good work you seem like a very nice person thanks for doing what you do if you find a couple dollars and change in your seat cushion in the cup holder in your car at the end of the month if you could throw it my way gosh would i appreciate that Become a member today, support the pod you love, and gain access to bonus content at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast, or download the Patreon app and find me on there. Folks, the next hot movie night. Oh my God, it was so much fun, but like we've already gone far over for this intro. Uh, it, we had such a great time last Thursday watching part three of Taboo American Style. Too many of y'all are sympathizing with Nina, and I find that problematic, but that is okay. We are going to conclude the saga with the final part, part four, on October 13th, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Join us, but you gotta be a member. Okay. And now for this week's guest, Emily Gindelsparger. She's got a new book out now called Please Make Me Love Me it is a memoir about the open relationship she has had with her partner. A little bit of a note here. We had some technical difficulties during the recording. Nothing major. You probably won't even notice it, but like, you know, we had to do a little ADR at times to fix it up. So if you if you're if you're part of that one percent of podcast listeners who are also audio engineers, and you're noticing, and then like you're the subset of that one percent who's like, mm, yeah, no, yeah. you know, it's it's a free podcast, okay? <laughs> uh, I think this is a fun conversation. I think we pulled some cool stories out of her. Uh, I would love to know what you thought about. This week's episode in the Champagne Room. But for now, let's go chit-chat after, you know, a few commercials with Emily Gindelsparger. But people assume that all the time. I remember once I was out at a bar with my girlfriend and this guy comes up to me and is like, where's your man tonight? And I was like, he's at home, but my girlfriend's right over here. She's amazing. And then we start like dancing and, you know, making googly eyes at each other. And he just like took that as an invitation to follow us around all night. Well, like, like, you know, how dare you be out? (laughs) Really, that was your mistake. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. I brought it on myself. What was I thinking? Don't you know talking to a dude at a bar means you want to (laughs) smash? I forgot that's the cardinal rule. Uh, Damn it. This is why I can't go out to bars. Do you have those kind of scenes happen often when you go out? Like, especially when you're out with your girlfriend? Um, I, so my girlfriend and I aren't together anymore, but I, yeah, occasionally it was often, but it was usually less overt than that. You know, it was like people staring at us or offering to buy drinks. But then if you just tell them to fuck off, they go away. So (laughs) usually pretty easy. This guy was like a hanger on. And I remember he had really pointy snakeskin boots. Was, <laughs> everything about bad? that was a bad joke. Like, I don't know yeah, anything that's about boots. Bad. Don't Is there go like that a different direction. skin I should be going for? Is there a different one I should be going for? Well, maybe I the snakeskin like would be okay. I dress like this on the day-to-day, so like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah, snakeskin might be okay. The you that line shows the more true it is. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I feel like you just caught me in a trap. I did. I did. <laughs> it's a comedy trap that we do. Yeah, like I have a joke uh, about like my birthday and how like people use it as an excuse to make unnecessary comments about your appearance. <laughs> so like my friends would be like, dude, you're looking great for 37. And I used to be like, I'm 29 years old. And the harder people laughed, the worse oh, no. I felt. 
Oh, no. I'm one of those people who's not weird about my birthday. I'm happy to get older because I had such a confusing like early to mid 30s that now late 30s, I'm like, cool. I'm finally like finally an adult. (laughs) I'm getting there. You understand what you want and you know how to ask for it. Yeah. Yeah. 37 is way better than 34. Yeah. For sure. How is being in your late 30s better than being in your early 30s? I I mean, the book that I wrote was all about like my sexual confusion of my early 30s. And so like it was this it was this glorious time, but it was also a really explosive time and um, just a lot of drama and chaos. And it took a while to kind of sort that out and figure out what I want. Mm -hmm. So. Well, it's a good time to say I'm here right now with author Emily Gindles Parker. Good Did I get job! It? Oh, I'm so proud of you. Mm. Anytime I get a confusing name right, I'm way too proud of myself. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Do you consider yourself, going back to what I was bringing up before, so do you consider yourself more of like a reserve, like prudent, non-monogamous person? I guess so. I mean, so... Yeah, and my identity's shifting now, I guess. Or or I'm not really sure what to call myself because I'm back in a closed relationship. But I don't what? Yeah. Talk about yeah. withholding things via email. <laughs> I can't believe I wasn't prepped. I can't work like this. Uh. <laughs> yeah, went to open and then back to closed and I think this suits me better. Um, but yeah, I mm I think that my identity as a queer person is like I still am very attracted to women. I'm not sure that I am done with seeing and sleeping with women for the rest of my life, but I am not, I don't have the time and energy for the multiple relationships thing I've discovered. Yeah, I just, it just takes, it takes a lot and I didn't do a lot else with my life in that time, (laughs) so... Wow. Wow. It was unexpected. Um, so because I thought the book was going to be like about opening up the relationship because like that's all the craze now. So are you worried at all that since the book ends with you closing the relationship that it's going to like contribute mm-hmm. to the stigma against non-monogamy? I worried about that, but it did. It worked for me for what I needed at the time. And it certainly, I mean, before opening our relationship, I thought I was a straight monogamous person. And that wasn't because I was a straight monogamous person. It was because I had never questioned those. I just never questioned much about my sexuality at all and hadn't really explored it. And so uh, it was really successful in helping me understand more about myself, learn more about myself. And then ultimately just didn't end up being the lifestyle that I want. But I don't think that that's like a, I don't think that's a failure at all. But I think, I wonder if I'll get in trouble for saying this in the poly community. I think in the poly community, there is this like, don't tell stories about how we're back to being monogamous kind of thing, right? Like that, that it's such, it's still a little bit of a fringe thing to do in relationships and so we want all these positive stories out there to help people feel like oh this is okay to explore and we're changing a cultural paradigm but the reality is that all those stories are as varied as real life is so they all turn out differently and it's like yeah there are negative experiences in non-monogamy of course but it's like i think there's a collective nervousness right now Mm -hmm. it's like oh people are finally paying attention to us like we act, we finally have uh, um, some media spotlight on us, and it's like let's not fuck this up. Like we don't want to fuck up the chance to sh- tell people that, like, yeah, you can mm-hmm. live this way. This way of life is valid. Well, and I wouldn't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that I had a not great experience with non-monogamy. I think I had complicated relationships just like any kind of relationship is complicated right i just had several of them going at once and they were all complicated so sure so that's like the chaos um but yeah it's i think that one of the most valuable things was getting me to really i really had to sit down and think about what i wanted and that was something i was not good at um thinking about or identifying or certainly speaking to before you know it was like most of the things that 
happened in my life, I kind of romantically and relationship wise were felt a little bit more happenstance than planned, uh, you know, help, felt a little bit more like I wind up in this thing. And is that right for me? And let's figure it out. And, and now I'm a little bit more proactive about like, figuring out what it is that I want in advance and and going for it, finding your way into things and then deciding whether you like them versus figuring out what you want and then going for it. I think both are valuable, but I certainly didn't have that second pathway for a while. And it sounds like it's not like, oh, we're closing back up and we're closing back up forever. It sounds like the the door is always open for communication to like say, hey, I think I would like to do X, Y, or Z thing. Oh, hell yes. Yeah. I personally feel like I can actually talk about these things now, whereas I couldn't before. Somebody asked what non-monogamy meant to me, and I realized like it actually doesn't anymore mean necessarily the way that I'm arranging my relationships. Like what it has meant in my life is constantly challenging whatever the status quo is and like not necessarily designing my life along the status quo but actually stopping and asking what I want and and then having conversations with the people I love about that, which was so, so hard for me. Um, so hard that I had to write an entire book about how <laughs> terribly I used to be at that. But I think the hardest part, at least the hardest part for me in imagining non-monogamy before I was non-monogamous was that I just assumed trying to navigate that was not going to be worth like the jealousy and all the negative feelings that I thought that I would have. And I, you know, did have at various times. And you saw that there was a payoff, you know, it's like, oh, there's all this payoff here. That's really fun in exchange for like an occasional feeling of jealousy. Yeah. And it's not even just that je the jealousy is the payment for like the sex life that I want to have. It's also like, I learned that I can feel jealousy and not die. Like, that's huge. <laughs> People feel jealousy like it's the worst possible emotion mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think the, the worst emotion is betrayal, right? Mm. Like, viewing... <sighs> yeah. One of the things that I wrote about in the book was, like, how um, I started a relationship with one woman... And then started dating a second woman and didn't tell the first woman. This is about while it. you're with the male. Well, I was also with my yeah with my male partner. Man, I just there are so many reasons that I hid that, and I'm certainly it. It was like a terrible that was a terrible thing for me to do, and I still like am coming to grips with the parts of myself that try to hide in that way. But it was partially because of like just being so afraid of whatever emotions are going to come up you know have you ever been hidden not that i know of <laughs> oh wait i might have been hidden once <laughs> <laughs> there was this guy i used to see in college he was like a hookup guy I don't know. He would only meet up with me at weird times and weird places. And it just always made me think like, okay, this is either sort of a kink for you or yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't being hidden, but he, we didn't ever like break up. We just sort of didn't, didn't call each other. And, um, and then a, a couple months after sort of radio silence, he called me in the middle of the night at 3am and described some redhead that he just had sex with. And I was like, what <laughs> what is this it's so strange yeah now i heard a rumor that there are some explicit scenes in the book there are how was that going back to the well and like reliving these sexual experiences and relationships that no longer are oh i mean it was amazing and very easy i had yeah. no no <laughs> Maybe you were like, oh, yeah, that time behind the dumpster was really hot. Actually, yeah, the time behind the dumpster was hot. And um, that you was just, just making out. just wish it wasn't out. in an NYPD parking lot. <laughs> right? We didn't find out till after. We were like, oh, shit. <laughs> that was awkward. I mean, I, it was a mixed bag. Like some of those memories I still really do cherish. In the same way that any relationship that you're in, there's there's good parts that you still remember and then, you know, parts that you want to forget. So it was nice to go back to some of the memories that I really loved and just like sit in them and be with them and be like, oh yeah, you know, this relationship kind of turned out into a little bit of a disaster, but this part wasn't disastrous. Like this part was rad. <laughs> that, was, that was nice. And then there were other scenes that um, 
that were really hard to revisit. Those those were not sex scenes so much as like trying to talk about the sex we were having or not having kinds of scenes. And those I had to go over like several different times. And it was like this layering process of each time I returned to it, I could get a little bit more detail and then a little bit more. But they started off just kind of police reporting, like not really able to engage with them at all. You uh, you referenced earlier that like in opening up the relationship, you want to discover you know, what you wanted in sex, your sexuality. So I got to wonder, like, what was that first time like after being with your partner for years? What was that first time like being physically intimate with someone? It was really exciting. I'm a high novelty person. So like, especially the first couple of times fooling around with and, and sleeping with other people, it was like the sex I was actually having wasn't, that amazing but just because it was like brand new it was like electrifying right <laughs> which was really great um and on top of that my partner and i had this really fun dynamic of like we would talk about our dates we would talk about flirting with other people we would talk about about how confused we were you know it was like sharing dating life with a best friend and I got to experience that with my partner and kind of like see how he responds to all of this and it was and see like this other side of him that was like oh you were probably nervous like that with me right like it's yeah there's a whole lot of really sweet reflection that happened the book actually opens up with the first scene of like he uh, told me he had a crush on somebody and didn't necessarily need to act on it but it was just like our first conversation about do we want to act on these kinds of things? And um, in my head, I took that from, I have a crush on somebody to just like catastrophizing straight to, I'm going to sleep with her and leave you. And like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> totally Ill illogical. This is, this oh, is this how. Oh, this is in your head. Yeah, this is in my, in my head. This is how neurotic I am. Um, and so I just had to sit with that for a while and like, I I actually pulled completely back from the conversation. I just sort of like ghosted him a little bit that whole week and like sat with myself and and felt all the jealousy and all the fear and all of the insecurity and realized that at the bottom of all, all of that was actually the reason my brain is catastrophizing in that direction is because I don't feel like I'm worthy, right? Like th that was the, that was the bottom line. And once I finally discovered that like bottoming out of where my brain was trying to take me it was like suddenly the jealousy was no big deal because it wasn't about what was going on in our relationship or whether we were good or not which we were totally good it was about am I secure enough in myself to realize that the reason my partner is with me is not just because there isn't somebody better than me <laughs> right like he's with me because he likes me and I have to learn to trust that and so once I got the hang of that, it was like, it was like starting to ride a bike, I guess. Like it, it really, I got some more practice with trusting that like, oh no, we can experiment, we can be okay. And, and then that's when all the conversations that felt more like best friends gabbing about dating, that's when those started to happen. Tell us more about like that first date, that first hookup outside of the relationship. Like how'd it go? What's going through your head? Uh, it was a mixed bag. <laughs> I think that uh, it was with a, a guy and I think he was. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's not why it was a mixed bag. There are plenty, plenty of guys that are great in bed. Um, no, he, I think, uh, I'm so hesitant to talk about like what might've been going on inside of other people, but I think that he was hesitant about being with me. I'm not sure that that it was the easiest thing to be with somebody who was partnered. And so it really was just sort of like this flash in a pan fling that ended with me giving him a, a blowjob and then him just like laying back with eyes closed and doing nothing else. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, but, you know, that that first time you make the physical contact, whether it's a handhold or a kiss, it's now in a new context, right? Like now it's not just an innocent whatever. Like, you know, you're out at a bar and someone hits your hand or puts a hand on your back because now it's sexually charged. 
the first time someone puts a hand on your thigh now, it, it's different, right? Like it's for a different reason than it's been for eight years. So you know, did you feel that electricity, that spark that you hadn't felt since that first date with your partner? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think for a while, actually, our open relationship experiment was like, me just trying to get that as many, like get as many reps in of that as I could. Uh, cause it was so fun. Um, and you'd been with your partner for so long. Mm-hmm. You like did your whole twenties with him. Yeah. Yeah. And both of us were serial monogamous before that. So, um, that was a conversation that we had at the time was maybe we should open this up because we are planning on being together, you know, for longer like we're we're lifers basically and do we want to go through life without ever having those experiences again no like we want to we want to have our relationship be changeable and be all of those things when we're when we're ready so yeah you don't want to be 47 thinking back like oh gosh what else was out there yeah let's get out the way you know like let me run through some dick let me run through some pussy and uh and (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely the person I want to die next to 30 years from now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And if the relationship isn't strong enough to withstand just like some experimentation, then, you know, like how strong was it in the first place? Yeah, that was that was the argument we eventually landed on was like basically that we know our relationship is strong enough, right? Like we know that uh, there may be other things that tank them, but it's not going to be us mutually deciding to like experiment in this in this way while discussing opening up did y'all plan like an exit strategy like oh if this isn't for us like here's what we'll do we did although i don't know i don't know it's, what is that eisenhower quote like plans are essential and planning is useless like i feel kind of that way about it because when we started our open relationship the thing I was most excited about was more like casual dating. Right. And I did not expect that I was going to turn those into longer relationships, which is ultimately what happened. And so like there's just a lot more factors involved. Like, our initial conversation was like if either one of us gets uncomfortable, like you and I are a priority and so, you know, we'll figure out what needs to happen and like shut down the rest if if that needs to happen. That's a much harder conversation to have when you actually have other boyfriends and girlfriends, right? Like easy to talk about when you're talking about casual dating, but when they're actual other people that you have deeper relationships with, the game totally changes. We ended up, it was just a natural progression for us to go back to close. Like I was with those two women. We Eventually that worked out. I was in both of those relationships. And then one of the women and I decided to end things. Um, my partner and the other woman and I were in a thruple for a while. Okay. And then they broke up. And I really, I realized that then it was going from like this thruple thing that kind of felt like a family unit to me. Like that felt, that felt like a really rocking arrangement. But then, how long to, did that last? <laughs> um, as the thruple arrangement, I should know this. <laughs> I feel like it was under a year. Yeah, it was. It was good for several months, and then it was like bad on limping along. Well, I write about this in the book. She did this really beautiful gesture of like kind of revamping her house to make space for me like went on this giant shopping spree and got a bunch of stuff (laughs) that you know like a bunch of stuff that that I have that's comfortable in my home she used a a toothpaste that she knew I didn't like so she got me like the toothpaste that I like it was little stuff like that right uh contact solution because I wear contacts and it was like Really beautiful and really sweet and completely overwhelming for me. Like that was, I felt so guilty about it because it was, I wanted it to be feel like the right thing. And what it really felt like was just way too much. Um, and so it wasn't long after that that I realized like, mm, like she's setting up her house for me to live in partly with her, right? Like, and I don't want to live here and that's a really hard truth to sit with yeah because you're like what what's the return policy (laughs) at lowe's 
Yeah, I mean, it is like, uh, it's a funny thing about going from casual dating to like a deeper relationship is we we spelled out like what we thought our relationship was going to be in the beginning and it wasn't that. <laughs> it was like, so it was like, can I return this deeper relationship for like the quote unquote easier one, right? Which of course you you can't, like everybody feels the way that they feel and um, and that's what changes things. But um, it was really heartbreaking to try to figure out how to navigate that. Now you hadn't been with women before meeting your partner, right? Right, yeah. So tell us about that first time you got to be on a date with a woman. Okay, let's define date because there were uh, several times does when being fingered in the back of cubbyhole count as a date. <laughs> no, but like trying to fi- trying to figure out being a previously straight identified woman and then trying to figure out how to date women. I kept asking friends, you know, for a glass of wine. <laughs> like I want to call this a date, but also I'm not ready to call this a date. So like, can we just have wine and flirt with each other? Like I had several of those kinds of dates. My first official one, finally, I was ballsy enough to like treat it as an actual date because it's a date that I got off of dating app. So like, you know that somebody's actually there for that purpose. As opposed to just like trying to hit on your friends. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which, by the way, hitting on your friends is pretty great. I've I've had some wonderful experiences that way. So don't knock it. Um, but yeah, the first like real date, defined date, I was, oh, God, I was so, so self-conscious. I don't think I don't think I've ever been that self-conscious with a man. I think that when I was dating men it was like so much easier for me to know who I was and just be like, "Ah, if we're not getting along, like screw this. If we're not getting along, it's no big deal. Like I'll just leave." But with a woman it was like suddenly I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> In a weird way. It's like I was really intimidated by her. She was super hot and super put together and like The first date. Like what did y'all do? We went uh to have sushi and cocktails. I write about this in the book too. And I remember she ordered a martini. And I think martinis are disgusting, but I also think that they're one of the most sophisticated drinks, you know, like in the movies. So I ordered one too, even though I hate them, and then pretended that I liked it. I was pulling that kind of shit, right? Like, I haven't done that since I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> he ordered whiskey, so I ordered whiskey. Yeah, yeah. It's it's ludicrous. I only drink whiskey because, like, an older woman I was hooking up with a long time ago, she drank a lot of whiskey, and now I only drink whiskey. The first hard alcohol I drank was whiskey as well, and it was to impress a boy. Yeah. It worked. And uh, now I really enjoy whiskey above all others. And did drinking the martini work? <laughs> uh, I don't think I impressed her with the martini, no. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't turn her on. No. Uh, although I think I, you know, I mostly covered it. So I think it was just like the little tension in the side of the, yeah, that one. Tension in the s- corners so of the great. mouth. It's so great. Like when you're trying to hold in a sneeze. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, she's a she's a gen- like a very genuine, authentic, amazing person, and she was more impressed when I would actually like be myself. And I think um, <laughs> it just took me a while to like be myself and and calm down and and like actually be present for that date. I was in my head for most of it. Yeah, and uh, did y'all to go home together? We didn't on that particular date. Uh, but I guess it was like third date. We finally went home together. Well, it's also like, here's another weird thing about dating as a partnered person is like, where do you go to have sex? (laughs) (laughs) In the back of somebody's van is where you go. Or like, (laughs) you talked about like not knowing your role. Like when you're on a date with a woman, like, ah, like, what do I do here? Like, you know, you know what to do with a man, but with a woman, ah. But but by the time you got to bed slash van, like, did you have a better understanding of your role? I was not comfortable, uh, but I wasn't uncomfortable. I was like in that hyper excited state of just like, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm going to go with whatever impulse shows up. Okay. Um, which worked out pretty well. Doesn't always. Okay. <laughs> but it worked out really well. It was also not the first time that I had been with a woman Luckily, so I wasn't like trying to navigate that newness as well. I was like a, I was like a JV player. But you were just like, okay, I've seen one of these things in my face before. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that they are all different now. And um, <laughs> did you not know that before? <laughs> well, I knew it, but I I was still surprised. Like I didn't know dicks could be that different from each other. Oh, dicks are wildly different, and vulvas are even more complex because, like, everybody registers sensations on them very, very totally. differently from each other, right? So, like learning that what works for me is not the flavor for a lot of other you know like like trying to to figure all of that out was um i think i was a really bad lay for women for the first <laughs> the first several rounds it was more exploratory like i i did try to take my time to learn but sometimes i mean again those first experiences were like me and my partner and someone else and so there was a little bit more like just amped up energy and so like now i know to take my time in a way that i didn't before it was like just trying to <laughs> rush to the pleasure rush to the pleasure figure out what works as quickly as possible um which you know you don't always figure it out quickly so did you ever experience your partner feeling differently about you on dates with women versus you on dates with men hmm yeah 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 um yeah, I don't want to go too much into that because I, again, like, don't want to speak to his experience. He's a much better spokesperson for that. But, but we had conversations about like, he definitely felt jealous when I was with men and not jealous at all when I was with women. And how did that make you feel? Weirdly, like, fem, like I got on my feminist high horse about it. <laughs> I was like, it's the same. Why don't you care when I went? Like, I wanted him to be jealous when I was with women, um, not because I wanted him to feel jealousy, but it was like, it seems sexist, but but also can't really be because it, that's just how your emotions work. It's not like you're deliberately like, you know, <laughs> like trying to logic your way through this in some convoluted way. Did you feel like that kind of like dismissed your bisexuality? Like, oh, these hookups, they don't really matter that much. No, no, that actually didn't. That didn't cross my mind, but now you've got me wondering, like, what what then was it that I was hung up about on that? I'd have to give that some more thought. Okay. So was the dissolution of those two relationships with those women uh, and, and your partner's uh, relationship falling through with that woman as well? Like, so was the dissolution of these romantic relationships kind of like the beginning of the closing back up process? Yeah, for sure. I felt, I felt really burned out after those relationships just just emotionally i was like <laughs> i was not ready for for anything for a long time and we've you know referenced a few times now like the idea that opening up was going to allow you to figure out like what you like sexually like to learn more about you as a sexual being so i guess i gotta ask like what did you find out <clears throat> Yeah, this is such a mushy answer, but like I found I found my desire and I found my emotions. <laughs> I had I had not really paid attention to those in a conscious way. Mostly I'd been like following my unconscious desires around and not being very not not being very conscious of it. And that is also what created turmoil in relationships, right? Like that's why I started dating a second person and not telling the first woman that I was with, right? That was all driven by unconscious. Which I thought was so funny, by the way. Uh, oh, really? Why funny? Well, because like you're, you're ostensibly you're in an open relationship. They know you're in an open relationship. They know about your partner, your male partner. So like that was chill for them both to know about that. But you were nervous about like them knowing about each other, like the other women, and so that I found interesting. Like, why would they have an issue with the 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 your other female partners if your male partners chill? Well, I mean, that was sort of the that was the assumption that drove the hiding. Right? Is like, I don't need to talk about this because we have an open relationship. So, like, one partner, three partners. What does it matter to you? Which is a really disrespectful. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's a really disrespectful way to go about things. Um, but yeah, it was, I was definitely in some denial about like how important that was because these relationships were at the time 
the first one was transitioning from like casual to to deeper. And then the second one was totally casual. And so like I just, yeah, I was just in denial. Like literally when I would hang out with the first girlfriend and it, it just does the idea that I should be telling her about other things going on would just not be present in my mind. It was like blank anyway. But you found your like conscious desire. Yeah, yeah. Because having made that mistake and and making that mistake because of the blankness, right? Like realizing, oh, I'm creating a lot of drama and chaos in my life because I am just literally not attending to myself. Like I'm not paying attention to what's going on inside of me and then I'm not like talking about what's going on inside of me to the people that I love and so when that came to a head I really had to sit down and start paying attention to all of my emotions which was really scary because it was a lot of shame and judgment and like oh my god how could I be such an asshole how could I do that um, beating myself up for months but making the space to actually like let myself feel all of that and realize, okay, you're not going to die of shame, even though it definitely feels like you were going to for a while. Um, and then starting to get really honest about what I feel inside helped me then start talking a lot more honestly about, about that with my partners. And I am so much more... I'm just much more in integrity now, I'm, which is not to say that I won't ever like fuck up in the same way. And unfortunately, we repeat a lot of our mistakes, right? Um, but I, but I'm in touch with myself in ways that I wasn't then, and I am a lot more courageous to talk to people about stuff that matters um, to the point of putting out a whole book. So <laughs> I, I'm practicing. That's great. No, that's great. Well, Emily, uh, this was great. Thank you for, for coming on. Patreon people, you're going to be hearing a wonderful bonus episode with me and Emily uh, tomorrow. But for now, pe- Emily, where can people go to, uh, to follow you to get the book? Yeah, so the book is called Please Make Me Love Me. It's on Amazon. And you can check out my website, emilygindelsberger.com. I assume people can find the way to spell that from the episode title or something. I'll have it in the <laughs> show notes. But for now, Emily, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody? Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. One second, one second. I No, no, no. I know you got to get to the thing. I, well, not to the thing, just the next episode that you have in the queue, the next podcast you were going to listen to. And that's cool. That's chill. Just I got a little bit more content for you if you can hang tight like another 90 seconds, okay? Emily Gindelsparger would love to know what you thought about this week's episode in the episode discussion channel in the champagne room. It's free to join and you can connect with hundreds of like-minded listeners and share your opinions on the show, on kink, on sex toys, on books, and more. Introduce yourself today at manhorpod.com slash discord. This is embarrassing to say, but I have a new TikTok. Uh, I still have my old TikTok, the Billy Presida. We'll see what's going to go on with that. That might be a little bit more like personal and stand-up stuff. Not too sure. But uh, I'm starting something uh, that's a little bit more focused on dating, relationships, maybe some sex if they'll let me. So if you're looking for just like another TikTok to have in your feed, follow me at UGDating. That's U-G-H, Dating. Julia in the champagne room today uh, seemed concerned that I've not brought up the motor bunny recently. That's so fair. So I just want to remind y'all that you can still get $50 off a motor bunny, arguably the best sex toy you'll ever own, the vibrator to end all other competing vibrators. You can still get $50 off when you use promo code MANHOR at MotorBunny.com or visit ManHorPod.com slash MotorBunny. Yeah, whichever word you put in whichever order is correct. ManHorPod.com slash MotorBunny, MotorBunny.com slash ManHor. The point is I want you riding on top of a vibrator that'll make you question if you even really need real dicks anymore. Like probably because if there's like an apocalypse and the and the power goes out, you know, the gener- you can't use the generator entirely on a vibrator. So it's good to have a biocock around to use. But, you know, uh, promo code manhor for uh, $50 off a of motor bunny in case uh, you were like, is that deal still good?
Another deal that is still good is I'm actually running a deal on my Patreon. 10% off an annual membership all the month of October. When you sign up at patreon.com slash podcast, you'll have an option at any tier to sign up for an annual membership and you'll be offered a 10% discount if you pay it all up front. Just, just a little deal. If you want to save a little scratch, you don't have to feel guilty about it. I chose to give you this. So it's all good. Um, but to, to close out the show, before I give you a teaser of my bonus episode with Emily, which is fucking hysterical, I gotta tell you. Before I tease that bonus episode, I'm gonna close out with a comment from Julia, our moderator in the champagne room. I know we're doing a lot of champagne room talk, but this is a really sweet way to close out. She posted in the Pure Positivity channel. Although he will never see this, I'd like to give a shout out to Josh for being just an overall fun dude who took wonderful pictures and taught us all so much about his magical world of cock rings. R.I.P. Josh Myers, we still miss you, buddy. We ain't forgetting about you. May you be staying slutty wherever your soul ended up. What if uh, How to Throw a Gangbang is a little bit more memory, less instructional? Maybe I'm telling a lot of crazy stories, but they're not like braggadocious stories. It's kind of like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened kind of stories. And the guy is not seeming like the biggest Joe Rogan douchebag in the process. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe how like- How do we soften how to throw a gangbang? Like my crash course in sexual liberation. Oh! See, oh! sometimes I can pull it out of my oh! ass. <laughs> oh, that felt hot. That felt good. I like it. Nice. <laughs> I like it. Like I said, if, if it ever gets used, royalties. Um, I feel like I feel like we got the, the beginning of something good cooking over here. Yeah, I yeah. feel good about that.